Uninvisible is a support podcast that deals squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our terms of service and privacy policy which are available on our website located at uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman. And I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. We are recording again here at Health 2019 in Las Vegas, and so there might be some ambient noise in this recording, but I am joined by the wonderful Melissa Talwar. And Melissa is the executive director of the International Support Fibromyalgia Network. She's also a board-certified functional medicine coach. And we're here together because she also won a WeGo Health Award. So Melissa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. So um, we like to start these interviews from the very top. Um, and this is exciting for me because I haven't heard some of the, your story yet. So can you tell us when and how you first realized you had an invisible condition and, and when you were diagnosed with fibromyalgia? It's interesting because I was 14 years old and this is in 1994. So I didn't even know there was such thing as an invisible condition or invisible disabilities and all sure. the stuff that we talked about. And um, I didn't even have social media access because that's it's it's the ninety four. <laughs> <laughs> that was the analog age, <laughs> and that's when my chronic pain journey started. Um, mm. It started with a sports injury and a mild concussion, and we didn't know what was going on. It just continuously just was in chronic pain. Wow. Um, I was actually training for the Olympics, so I was an Olympic hopeful for California, and I got to carry the Olympic torch in 1996. And this was in track and field, right? Yes, correct. Mm. Track and field, 800 meters was my event, and mm. unfortunately, they sent me home in a wheelchair with no idea of what was going on. I think that they tested for everything. Um, but, yeah, but how could we know back then? Right. <laughs> I know. And I don't have any of my records. Wow. So we didn't keep any of that stuff because it was just I don't know where it went. Mm. I mean, those doctors closed their offices, too. Yeah. Um, so that's where it kind of just started. And they were just like, well, we're not sure what's going on with you. Mm. We don't know if you'll be able to run again. We definitely we don't know if you'll be able to walk again. Wow. Um, so that's where the journey started. And what was the injury that you had that sort of set it off? I did. I was trying out for the volleyball team freshman year of high school. And the you're guy, so tiny. <laughs> but the guy that came in, he was he called himself a drill sergeant. I guess mm. he had trained football players. So <laughs> we were diving for the ball out on the grass and he had us doing those football drills. And mm. I didn't even know what was going on. And I think I took a head dive into one of those. I don't even know what you call it, where the football guys push it oh, across the field. Oh, those soft things, like the ones that are basically supposed to be football players. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it didn't move. I mean, back then I was like 90 pounds, so yeah. 90 pounds trying to move that. And yeah. I ended up conking my head because I, I have a klutzy past, so I did okay. have some other head injuries before then. Okay. And I, they said that I kind of passed out and I had a concussion and oh. just chronic pain from that point on. I just could not undo. I couldn't walk up the stairs. I was just really struggling. My head constantly hurt. Wow. Wow. So when did you actually get the diagnosis of fibromyalgia? How long did that take for you? 
I think it, they loosely gave it to me maybe a year after. And then again, when I got sent home with a wheelchair, they're like, okay, well, we've ruled out everything else. So I guess it is really fibromyalgia, but it's rare. We don't see it in juveniles. We barely even, we don't even know what to do with it. So then became the experiment of treatment plans and lots of different cortisone shots, pharmaceuticals to try to just get me back into shape. Well, first of all, you just touched on something that fibromyalgia is rare. Is it actually rare? No, there's been significant increase over the years. I mean, maybe in the 90s, no one knew Um, it was starting to come up. But still, I think in juveniles, they still kind of deny it. Mm. Uh, But it's definitely not rare. Yeah. Okay. so you started talking about the cortisol shots, everything that you were getting. So tell me about the treatments um, that you went through and sort of how you've gotten your health on track up to this point. Well, I started with the pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. So that was back. They put me on all kinds of medication that to this day, no one would even consider putting me on. Mm -hmm. I was really fortunate enough later to come across a great mental health team. And at that point, one of the doctors really evaluated everything that I was on. And he's like, this is why you're having all these side effects because I was in the worst state ever. Mm. I mean, antipsychotics, anti-inflammatories, antidepressants. Taking benzos. one pill to use as a Band-Aid for the one you were already on kind of thing. But it was all mixed together and I was yeah. barely 18 years old. So mm. I was having extreme side effects and I'm just lucky that my parents didn't commit me because it was mm. getting to that point. Wow. Um, so I had the doctor look at it. He's like, wow. He's like, I would never think to put a teenager on this amount of medication. He's like, no wonder. So he really helped me sort it out, got me into a better place. And we really understood the side effects. And I'm very sensitive to medication. So I started to have to look at more Chinese medicine and other alternatives to come into the play. But nothing necessarily really worked. Mm. I was still kind of declining. And the doctors told me, well, you have something autoimmune going on. And this was... 2013 because I was just getting worse Mm. worse and worse but again they're like well take a few a leave a day there's Mm. nothing we can do for you come back when you have a full-blown autoimmune condition in five years this sounds familiar doesn't it (laughs) it's unbelievable how familiar this story is it's like the sick care system right that we're not even talking about preventive care anymore it's just like come back to us in a few years when you're really sick but you were really sick then And it was getting worse and worse and worse. So finally, in 2016, at the end of the year, I was just a mess. Mm. And then again, doctors just ran out of tools. I had really lovely doctors. They were nice, but they just didn't know. And so even my GI doctor, he walked me back to the pharmaceutical like closet that they give samples for. And he's like, well, I have no idea what to give you. But here, maybe try a few of these. And I just broke out crying. And he didn't know how to respond. But I was in tears. Yeah, because I was so frustrated with what was going on. And I was fortunate enough to come across Dave Asprey on his Headstrong tour in 2017. Mm. And he talked about biohacking. And I was like, what's biohacking? And here was a software engineer who changed his health. And I was like, wait, I have a biomedical degree. I can Mm. figure this out. Okay, so I've got empowered and excited. Mm. I started looking more at like functional medicine. I I don't I think I was looking more at nootropics to try to get my brain health back. Yeah. So I picked up the end of Alzheimer's book, started reading it. I picked up Dr. Terry Walls's book and started reading the Walls Protocol almost at the same time. And I read the end of Alzheimer's book and it really reminded me of fibromyalgia every step of the way. Because he talks about different types 
you can overlap. But all of this started to sound really similar to everything that I had gone through and everything that I'd heard among the fibromyalgia community. Mm. So I took his book with my brain octane in hand um, <laughs> and just started working away at his 36 variables of optimization. I gathered all the lab tests that I ever had and kind of looked back at everything and really saw that doctors kind of missed a few things or I had elevated levels in different areas of inflammation, but was kind of ignored because it mm. wasn't high enough. Like it was just outside of range or high like range, like for example, CRP, I was actually at one. Wow. So it was higher levels and I utilized that to kind of just create this whole 36 variable that I created using his protocol, the walls protocol on nutrition and movement yeah. and got my life back. So you really found the, the tools that worked for you. You didn't sort of commit to one one way of doing it. You saw what was useful you gathered all that information and tailored it to yourself. And that's what you're able to do for the people who work with you as a health coach too, I imagine. Correct. It's just complicated because I think sometimes we're looking for that one cure or one yeah. thing to like cure it all, or we may try gluten-free diet and it doesn't seem to work for us. Mm. But in this case, it was so multifactorial and all these variables put together that it, it's really a challenge when it comes to personalized medicine to see what happens. And Yeah. Yeah. So were you able to get off a lot of medications as you started going down this path? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So where are you now in terms of your relationship to pharmaceuticals? <laughs> Dare I, I ask? <laughs> I don't want to be anti-med, but I think we have to get away from monotherapy yes. um, in conjunction to it. I would love to see more tests to see how patients actually react to the medication before you apply it, if possible. I know the mm -hmm. tests exist, but it's expensive and not everyone gets that. Yeah. And it's genetic testing. You can do that with the full genome. Great. Yeah. Which I love the genetics. I mean, I have the whole methylation pathway behind me in my office. So that's part of what I use to optimize myself. That's really cool. <laughs> I'm like, I, I need to come visit. <laughs> yes, definitely. And I'll, I can even send you a pathway planner. <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be so exciting. Because it's interesting because like we do talk about some of these biohackers on the show, people like Dave Asprey, um, you know, and Dr. Walls, and they definitely come up because they've helped a lot of people with varying conditions. Um, and it's great to have someone like you on the show who's had such wonderful success treating yourself with these ultimately fairly holistic approaches um, and, you know, that you've been able to wean yourself off of your medications and get to a point where, like, you're quite well and you're managing your symptoms in a very positive way, it seems. And I never thought, I could have never imagined I would be in this position to even mm. get to feel better. And who would have thought like a cup of coffee, bulletproof coffee, coffee with butter and brain octane would change my life forever. So yeah. I mean, it's a funny, it's just funny to think about, but it really did. And now that's why it's incredible because 24 years is a long time to wait this out. Yeah. So, I mean, even though you had the diagnosis a year in, sort of, right, you still waited those 24 years before you were out of chronic pain, essentially, is what is what we're hearing. Yeah, it's definitely decreased my pain level. I'm not cured by any means, right. but to actually feel so much better, mm -hmm. there was no way. I mean, if I talked to my old self back in the day, I probably would have flicked myself off because there was no way I even believed it. Mm -hmm. I was just trying to do stuff not to prevent myself from going bedbound and demented because that's where I was going with 2016. I kept forgetting how to get home when yeah. I was driving. I was tethered to a bathroom. I'd been using my wheelchair so much 
that I was going to get an electric wheelchair. Mm. Um, so that's the state I was in. So anything and anything that I could have found to prevent this was what I was open to. And no wheelchair in sight now. So no, my pain is decreased. I mean, there's still moments like post-exertion yeah. that I'm still trying to figure out. Well, why don't you talk to us a little bit about how you're managing your symptoms on a daily basis? Like, what does a typical day look like for you as you're aware of your body and your needs to adjust certain activities? Um, A lot of breathing exercises, hmm. uh, especially when I wake up in the morning because I just try to calm myself. I know that there's anxiety component within this. You've mentioned mental health before, and it's a, it's a really important thing to talk about, the connection to chronic illness. Right. right. I mean, so I have to manage. I go through that. I mean, I make sure not to pick up my cell phone hmm. um, first thing in the morning. So I go and make my coffee and breakfast Yeah. and then come back and sit down and do work. And it, it's hard because I have a workaholic personality. So I always us. <laughs> so just working and constantly doing that. But I love taking breaks and hanging out with my dog, Toby, and just mm -hmm. rubbing his belly. And he distracts me. I think he knows when I need it because he'll come and nudge my leg. I want attention. And Be like, then, time to stretch, mom. <laughs> yes, definitely. So it's a great break. And then I mm -hmm. grow my own food. So I have a vegetable garden. And, you know, if I don't pay attention to it, the mm -hmm. <laughs> either the bugs attack it or it just like dries out and dies. So yeah. I have to, it really has helped me focus and then get outside more too. Yeah, that's really great. And was that mostly inspired by Dr. Walls having, growing your own produce? Um, I work with someone that teaches people how to grow their own food. So this started earlier, and I think it was also in a part of your rebellion against the doctors because they're like, go eat organic, mm. go exercise. And I'm like, well, I'm growing my own food, so how organic do you get? Yeah. <laughs> so what, do you, what else do you have for me? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's really exciting. And, and you do have a couple different um, handles on Instagram, which we'll link to, of course, on the web web page on the for the episode but um you talk about the different produce you're growing and um you know how you're using it in recipes and things like that so it's really showing people how many options are out there if you've got the space and you've got a little bit of time because actually even though they do take maintenance some veggies and fruits are kind of easy to grow if you've got the space um so it sounds like you were diagnosed as a teenager did you discover that you needed a, a personal advocate at any point in this journey to diagnosis and to wellness? And, and who has that been, if so, unless it's been you becoming your own advocate? I wish I had a personal advocate. Um, mm -hmm. It would have helped a lot, especially with school. And I think that's why establishing support fiber has been so important to me because I don't want anyone to go through anything that I had to, Yeah. Um, especially within the school systems and advocating. I mean, I had to do hearing at a college because I wanted to take less classes for my degree. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the person really, it's, it seems like a trend that people tell me, well, why don't you drop out and come back when you feel better? So these are the things that were given to me. And had I known there was disability services, yeah. that would have helped tremendously. So personal advocacy is something that we've integrated in the nonprofit. That's great. But I think a big component that I learned as I started health coaching was like, wait, it's also about personal advocacy to help people get through these. But in a part of it, I'm doing the health coaching. So it adds this whole new component so they can take it back home. So it wasn't mm -hmm. just fighting the system. But how can we integrate that into their own personal lives as well? Yeah. So you're really taking the work that you've done for yourself and applying it so that other people are able to seek help and perhaps more effectively and more quickly than you were able to. 
yeah, I can't let people go through anything. I think I might be the most, uh, I think I might be an advocate with the biggest chip on my shoulder. So <laughs> it's a good chip. <laughs> You're getting stuff done with that chip on your shoulder. So I'm very determined. So now that I've gotten a break in my health, like I am going for it as fast as possible mm. because it pains me to read the comments and even to meet people in person where they drop out of high school because yeah. of a PE coach or something like that. I was like, no, we need to change this. I mean, yeah. there's so many beautiful minds out there and we need to empower them to get involved. And I really think that we can change the system. Yeah. Okay. So let's jump into your work with Support Fibromyalgia. You founded this nonprofit. You're working your butt off, getting the word out. You've been to DC. You're getting groups together to lobby. Tell us about the scope of the work that you're doing with Support Fibromyalgia. It almost feels too much right now because people keep advising me to focus, but I'm, I'm struggling to focus because there's so much to get done. But you're focused on fibromyalgia. That's not enough. <laughs> well, all these components, so patient education, medical education, research, mm. and then advocacy efforts. The amazing thing was, is I was able to connect with a bunch of patient advocates across the country who really felt that we needed to come together. So they're actually taking different parts of the program and because their strengths they have strengths in it. Hmm. So we're, we're, we're all working together to like move fibromyalgia forward. Yeah, that's amazing. And you mentioned in your acceptance speech that you're going to hit the road in 2020. So can you paint a little picture of what that looks like and where people can expect to find you if they want to connect with you? I have been traveling around um, hitting the road and I, we, I just love meeting people in cities and hearing their stories and sharing the experience because I need to learn how we can improve the system. It's kind of my own form of market research. Mm. And so for 2020, we've been fortunate enough to receive a small uh, educational grant. So what we're going to be targeting is not only metropolitan cities, but some of the food deserts mm. to really challenge us to fill in the gaps for people, not only with fibromyalgia, but like autoimmune conditions. Absolutely. So I was going to say, it's not just welcome. fibro. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've been getting a lot of autoimmune patients and we've been doing yeah. a lot of work with lupus advocates. Yes. And this is great because you're getting involved at a grassroots, like a local level, but you're also, you've got a larger scope as well. So you're sort of working both angles um, and you're building the team as you do it and gaining so many amazing skills. I'm, I'm amazed at like <laughs> the breadth of what you're doing. And we tried to start with medical education first mm. and I really hit a wall. I mean, I was trying to target the Institute of Functional Medicine too. That's why I became a functional medicine coach. Mm. Um, but it was, it's, it's difficult to maneuver and providers say they don't have enough time, mm. but how do we educate the primary care physicians? So I kind of, we kind of maneuvered and then started focusing on patient education because if I can mm. empower the patients, get them this information for free yes, um, and put it out there and they can take it, the initiative to apply it if they need to, but ask questions. Mm. So that's why I've just like, we got to get this information out there. I don't know why this works for me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't claim to have all the answers, but mm. if I can like keep giving this information out to people and I've met other biohackers on the road who are patients really struggling and felt left behind in the system. So they're mm. doing their own work too, just like I did. Yeah. So we've been like really having major discussions and just giving each other the information and it's been really powerful. Yeah. Well, it's funny because a group of us met for dinner last night and some of us were talking about CBD and you chimed in and you were like, but has anyone tried 
you know, MCT and <laughs> brain octane, you know, and I was like, no, I haven't. Do I need to? <laughs> you know, it's it's opening up doors to so many of us. And I think interestingly with biohacking, in a way, it's more of a return to the way that our bodies are built to function anyway. So we're going to function optimally when we're treating ourselves right. I know. And it's constant experimentation and sure. like testing. Because even here, I don't usually do a lot of experimentation on the road, but I was so exhausted the other day doing all the walking. So I had oh, some exogenous yeah. ketones and I just mm. started to give it a try. And I was like, whoa, this actually worked. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. This episode is sponsored by Ember Labs, creators of the Ember Wave, the intelligent bracelet that helps control how you experience temperature. I'm heat sensitive and this device has been a lifesaver. Using patented technology, it cools or warms the temperature-sensitive skin on your wrist, creating a natural response in your body and mind that helps you thermally adjust in minutes. It was selected by Time Magazine as one of 2018's best inventions. For those of you with mounting medical costs to consider, the team at Ember offer a payment plan in partnership with a firm. And because you listen to Uninvisible Pod, they are offering you $30 off. Go to emberlabs.com, that's E-M-B-R labs.com, Enter code INVISIBLE30, that's INVISIBLE30, at checkout and experience personal thermal wellness on a whole new level with me. So, okay, you're working really hard. <laughs> what about balancing work and life? Do you, I mean, I know you take your time in the morning and you don't check your phone right away. Are you finding balance or at this point, is it sort of do or die? We got to do this for everyone. It's challenging for me to find balance. Uh, the amazing thing is my boyfriend and I do a lot of work together. So mm -hmm. when we, we travel together, we can do like workations. Mm -hmm. um, but I still find so much joy. So I think everyone worries about my burnout, but I, I'm so determined. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of joy when I do the work. I mean, I spend time with Toby and we hang out. I take breaks do the growing my own food and I, I use it as a visualization exercise sometimes because hmm. sometimes I see so much stuff that frustrates me and so I sort of visualize myself I plant something in the ground send out that negativity so it'll grow something beautiful hmm. so doing those exercises and stuff like that I think it's just being bed bound for so long and homebound I had to come up with different ideas like pulling the blinds just to stare out the window and do breathing exercises and imagine myself being outside that now that I'm outside, I was like, I'm just going for it. Yeah. In a way, it's sort of allowed you to engage more with your imagination, hasn't it? Being bedbound has made you go from living more in your mind to being able to apply that into this beautiful, colorful world that you've been able to engage with more. Yeah. And I had to keep myself really occupied when I was bedbound because I really struggled with depression. And so mm -hmm. one thing I just reminded myself of was just to keep learning. Yeah. Um, so I taught myself how to code. I could build web, uh, WordPress websites. Who by are scratch. you? I, but love I, I just had to keep myself focused, you know, learn more of social media marketing and just IT support, yeah. anything to just keep me focused on work, which sort of became a coping mechanism in some mm. way. And it's hard to break, but that's what I turned to. Yeah. Um, and you gain skills that you can not only use in the work that you're doing now with the nonprofit, but also that's those are marketable skills that you can be working remotely doing. And it helped me survive and it helped mm. me connect with people. I did hide fibromyalgia for a long time. Like mm. a lot of my clients that I was working with, like I would kind of show up for meetings, try to close deals, and then I would go work from bed. Yeah. Uh, so I'd have the laptop on like the bed or sometimes it was so bad I'd have the laptop on my chest and yeah. I'm like trying to type. But and no you one lose, knew. You lose a uh, feeling in your fingers. <laughs> but no one knew. I hit it really well for a yeah. long time because even before I started the organization, some of my clients were like, 
why would you start a nonprofit in fibromyalgia? And I was like, because I have fibromyalgia. They're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> now like, And now you dyed your hair purple. So we have to ask why. <laughs> I know. It's all for that. I yeah. mean, I'm naturally an introvert. So the purple hair helps, at, especially at medical conferences, because they're like, oh, they don't remember my name, but they're like, girl with purple hair, yeah. fibromyalgia. So, yeah. Yes. Which is, yeah, the color for fibromyalgia support, which is awesome. And lupus and all. And yeah, a few so. other ones. Yeah. Now, you know what I didn't ask you with the fibromyalgia was... Are you have you got the symptoms all over your body or are they more local in certain areas? Oh, it was definitely all over all the over. body, but it started to get worse with the joint pain. And that's mm-hmm. what was happening in 2013. And my antibodies were super high, but they couldn't give me a conclusive diagnosis. So mm-hmm. I had antibodies in various places. Thyroid, um, indeterminate colitis came up. Uh, definitely RA. Or yeah. Something. Well, yes, I was going to ask, but with RA... I believe like that some of the tests are a little different, but also you end up having joint issues that sometimes become visible, right? So, um, but with fibromyalgia, also an autoimmune condition, if I'm not wrong, right? Nope. It's not there yet. Uh Oh, not there yet. It used to, in history, it used to be in that category because I was looking at all the legislation when I was Mm. at congress.gov when I was doing research. Mm. It used to be in the autoimmune category when they were doing advocacy efforts. But now they're doing central nervous disorder or syndrome. It's, I wish we could come up with something conclusive. Every expert disagrees on the definition. They may like, oh, yeah, yeah. But then when they go back to like practice, they practice something completely different in the Mm. definition. It's really interesting because, you know, we need to know where these diseases start because sometimes the treatment needs to be a root cause approach, right? So at the very least, what you're doing with your diet and your lifestyle are things that are certainly root cause and they're reducing negative environmental factors, I imagine. But, you know, this is where research is so important. Yes. And that's why we went to D.C. this year to do the Fibromyalgia Advocacy Day, because those are things we're asking, increasing funding for fibromyalgia specific research. Mm. But one of the things that we need to do is get the websites updated because the CDC categorizes fibromyalgia and arthritis. The American Mm. College of Rheumatology says it's not arthritis. They're saying more of a neurologic condition. And then even rheumatologists, they say that they can diagnose you, but it's up to the primary care to treat you. So it doesn't <laughs> so no even specialist. Have, there's no home. And then yeah. we're not put into a neurologic like category as far as the NIH goes. So mm. where do we fit in? And we see a lot of people with fibromyalgia and the autoimmune conditions, yeah. especially like lupus. There's a lot of familial mm. <laughs> genetic yeah. components. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... This is where we sort of like we know these diseases exist, right? But it's amazing to me that there are so many authorities or, you know, companies or or organizations that we consider to be authorities that are all very different in their approach and opinion on all of these things. And we've all got to choose the outlets that speak to us the most, of course. But that's why it's great, because you're also providing a lot of information and insight for patients and for caregivers, right? So, I mean, we know that you've gone through chronic pain, being bedbound, being in your wheelchair. Throughout your experience with fibromyalgia, have you had experiences where you've had to justify to people that you had something going on because they couldn't see it? 
Yes, quite mm-hmm. a bit. I mean, just through the school systems, but even in business life, I something that stuck with me and I had to pick my battles. And so I, that's why it's like taking this on in a different route it was simple stuff in some sense. Like I was at a business networking event and they picked a place to have the networking event that had no elevator. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, you know, this was repetitive every like week and I just couldn't get up the stairs. Yeah. And again, access guys. <laughs> and I think when I talked to the president and she, I told her what was going on again, it's the whole, well, why don't you come back when you feel better type mm. of thing? And I just became a problem child within that network. So squeaky I, wheel though. <laughs> it didn't feel like there was no disability policy. Mm. And my boyfriend's like, well, if you, if you take them on now, I mean, maybe there's a bigger fight somewhere else and you can return back yeah. and be like, look, you need to have a disability policy for people. So it can be more inclusive. Mm, Absolutely. I mean, at this point, it seems to me like if you're hosting a conference, if you've got some kind of networking thing on, if you're not making your content accessible, then you're screwing up. I mean, at this point, right? Like we know that there are people in wheelchairs at the very least, so they need an elevator, right? People forget. I mean, even with Victoria, one of the other winners, it's Mm. just like the longest path to get into a place with a wheelchair or things are always broken, they're not up to date. This is problematic all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. So that's something for employers and organizers and everyone to be aware of. So can you talk to us, has privilege or a lack thereof played a role in your experience in treatment and diagnosis in the way that you've continued on with the fight for awareness for fibromyalgia? Has has the word privilege, does it, does it sort of mean, does it have meaning in your experience? I feel fortunate that I had the means to do what I could, even though it didn't really seem to be helping. But I think that's why I feel like I'm in a good position right now to mm. help others because I've really learned along the way from different people. And a really good friend of mine in college, Marjani, I just watched her take on two jobs, do a biomedical degree. I'm so impressed with her. She graduated a PhD in immunology, never getting any help. So she taught me so much Mm. when it came to these circumstances. And then I get to talk to other people. I mean, just having a patient advisory board with patients on SSI, Mm. um, single parents, veterans, I'm learning so much. And we're all coming together to create real solutions for the patient community. And that's what is going to really matter. And when you say the patient community, you literally mean across the board, all socioeconomic statuses, like really everyone. Yes. You're really creating an inclusive community. Yes. Across the board, I really saw even in Stockton, California with the lupus and fibromyalgia event, and there's some racial bias that's coming up. Um, And even just trying, like I said, filling in those gaps of food deserts was Mm. just trying to, because the data is there. So that's why we're tackling that or rural parts of the country. Um, and let's see if we can figure out better solutions to get people like on a better track of empowering them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, while we're talking about getting people on a better track and all the work you're doing, let's touch very briefly on a very big can of worms, <laughs> which is the healthcare system. And I'm wondering in what way you see the healthcare system working for patients with fibromyalgia and in what ways you can tangibly imagine improvement. It's improved with providers knowing what fibromyalgia is. Right. 
And I think there's a lot of assistance assistance programs out there that are getting patients the health care that they kind of need. Mm. Um, but we can definitely go much further. Yeah. And I think this is the struggle. And it was hard watching, again, the earlier panel today. It just feels like every time we watch all these debates, the politicians are just arguing about health care. Yeah. But no one's getting solutions. Right. It is hard to know that all these co-pays and paying, trying to get insurance um, just in general. And this is just a uh, across the board. Yeah, it's across the board for all of us. And I think that's why it's so important too. not only focusing on disease specifics, like we're working on fibromyalgia. But what I really want to do is collaborate with other organizations and other illnesses, chronic illness advocates yeah. to really come up with solutions for those major issues, because yeah. we're going to need numbers. So if we're going to go to D.C., Let's all gather up to address insurance issues and affordability of prices and those things. Yeah. And it sounds like this is a great opportunity to get the word out a little bit and like get people to start coming more so that more of us have a seat at the table and perhaps throngs can can appear in D.C. You know, last time it was 30 people. Next time, maybe it should be 300. The more of us who show up and who stick together, because we all want the same thing, even people who don't have chronic illness. Right. We all want it to be better and to work better for us. Right. And 2020 is going to be a big year. And I keep telling people all of these, uh, all the politicians are traveling around the country. Let's go to their events. Let's be there as a presence when they have town halls. Let's make sure our questions are answered. Yeah. And that's what I've kind of been doing. So anyone that's been coming to L.A., I've been going to their events and trying to get my questions answered, meeting with them whatever time I can, like, get with them. You're a goer. (laughs) But I think we need more people showing up. And even if we made it fun, we could have matching T-shirts so that way we stand out or something. But really just be in their faces all the time. And especially with polarizing conversations like opioids. Um, they're That's talking about one. that, but they need to hear from the chronic pain community constantly. Yeah. So those of us that can go and physically be there, let's do it and let's join forces all together. Absolutely. So we're coming to the end of the interview and I wanted to round things up as I always do with my top three lists, two top three lists. <laughs> the first one is what are your top three tips? For someone who maybe suspects they have some kind of invisible chronic condition going on, someone who maybe already has the fibromyalgia diagnosis and is at a loose end, um, what would you recommend for people tuning in that they can do to cope better? Well, the biggest thing is to always just keep fighting for your health. Mm -hmm. Um, I know sometimes it gets discounted and frustrating. You're jumping around from doctor to doctor. You don't feel well. And there's something going on when you just don't feel well. And maybe there's not a label for it yet, but just keep looking at it. Of course, keeping your records has been an important part of my journey. That's a really important tip. And just keep asking. Like, you can ask the doctors to give you the records. And now, like, with uh, online data, you can get more information. I mean, even the lab testing has an overall. So just keep on top of that. Mm. And then keep updating the doctors frequently with it. Even if they specialize in something, I always just say, like, I always just bring everything with you. Yeah. um, And just keep fighting for your health. And that's super important. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't know how to do that, Look for Support Fibromyalgia and other organizations that can help you learn how to advocate for yourself and how to keep those records and how to talk to your doctors in their own language sometimes, right? 
Right. And that's even a bigger point too, yeah. is reach out to other advocates. There's so many amazing bloggers, podcasters oh, doing <laughs> great work and yeah. it, it's just reach out to them. I mean, everyone's personal and respond and just ask questions. Yeah, we don't bite. <laughs> There's great information and tips all out there. So it's just amazing experience to be involved with the community. How are you so positive? I love how you're like, you were bed bound and in a wheelchair. And now you're like, yay. <laughs> like, how did you make that journey mentally from... You know, like, were you ever like you went, you were depressed, you know, but it's like, it's hard to believe that sitting here with you now, because you're so positive and productive in the work you do. It sounds like there was just a switch that went off at some point. It's, it was a process. I mean, a great yeah. mental health team is really important. Like psychotherapy really helped me to let go of all the shame and guilt I had because I just, I didn't have any coping skills at 14. Mm. They don't teach that in school. No. Um, and yeah, there was long points in time where I struggled with all of the suicidal ideation. Mm. Um, there, I just wished I never woke up at points. Yeah. So the transition has been a long journey of just understanding that, you know, I can do this and figure this out and always have this element of hope. But yeah, but it sounds like the hope is in the educating yourself and empowering yourself to actually be able to speak up, right? Like it's in the being able to you can't stand up on your own two feet maybe you can stand up on your ideas right and i think that's what the weird thing was with biohacking and what it brought me is like oh wait i do have the power to take back my health yeah i just was running around so much to doctors and giving everyone else my power yeah wait i could do this yeah yeah it's really wonderful i think it's very inspiring for everyone listening too so okay the last top three list top three things that give you unbridled joy that maybe you've made adjustments in your lifestyle, obviously with biohacking, right? Um, Top three things that you're not willing to compromise on that you might still cheat with or have a guilty pleasure, even a comfort activity, like three things that you turn to that you will never give up because they just make you so damn happy. I think definitely I just... I'm pretty honest. It's interesting with my character strengths. Um, the top one turned out to be honesty. So I mm. have to probably watch that one. Um, <laughs> Not willing to give it up though. <laughs> no, I think just being open-minded and talking to people is a big part of it and standing up for what I believe in. I know I get a lot of tips for business. You should do this. You should do that. I'm like, okay, so I really go with my gut instinct of mm. like, okay, what am I determined? And I know from life Um, so what were the hiccups in my own life? And I'm like, let's go fix those things. Mm. And it is, it is a struggle to like stop working sometimes. But I think what's so amazing is that when my boyfriend and I get together, we do a lot of like creative aspects Mm. and I love creativity. I love science. So even though I'm studying methylation pathways and histamine pathways, I just get so much joy out of it. Mm. Um, and again, growing food, playing with Toby is all important parts. So I do take breaks, but there's just something just so amazing when you get creative and talk about marketing all the time or yeah. yapping about science. Yeah, absolutely. So never giving up those creative ideas or that wonderful garden you've got at home too. And being okay with not, I guess, being nerdy. <laughs> I've accepted <laughs> Yeah, the you're really okay with it. I, I mean, don't you even call yourself nerdy on one of your Instagram profiles too or something? Yeah, because I've just been told all the time, like, you're such a nerd. And it was that's kind such of, a good thing. It was kind of taken in a negative context. I know when people, it's, it's a backhanded compliment sometimes, mm. but I've just embraced it. Yeah. Or just being outside the box. I mean, I was really, I'm really into punk rock music. So touring on like Warp Tour and stuff like that. So we're going to just stand up for people. And that was the principle with sort of support fibro that I told everyone on our team. 
we're going to take the mosh pit ethics here. When the circle pit starts, if someone falls down, we pick them up. I love that. (laughs) I really, really love that. So Melissa, tell everyone where they can find you online if they want to learn more about your work and about support fibromyalgia. Well, definitely you can add me on Facebook. So Melissa Nerdy Toller. Um, <laughs> you can find us at Support Fibromyalgia. So supportfibro.org. We have a Facebook page of Support Fibromyalgia. We're on Instagram, Twitter. Twitter is Team Fibro. Because for some reason, I couldn't get Support Fibro. Yeah, some of them are already taken. <laughs> and Instagram too? Yeah, Instagram is Support Fibromyalgia. I also have the Biohack Fibro, which is there. So it's for my nerdy side of the health coaching. (laughs) And yeah, exactly. More for the health coaching for sure. Well, Melissa, is there anything else you'd like to add before we let you go today? Um, This has just been great connecting with everyone in Chronic I just want people to know that you're not forgotten. If you're out there feeling like left behind, alone, we are definitely creating solutions and we're going to we're going to fix this. We're going to create the change and you're definitely not alone and reach out to all of us. There's hope. Yes. Thank you so much, Melissa. It's been a total pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.